Before I start with the text, I do want to, I guess, give a, a kind of a commercial. We haven't really talked about this from, the, from up here on stage very much about our missions conference that's coming next week or two weeks from now. And so I want to do that and just kind of give you a, a rundown of that because we, we want to encourage you to come be a part of as many parts of this as you can. Um, number one, it's good for you. It'll be great for you to uh, be filled with seeing people around the world that are sharing the gospel and how our uh, funding and our praying is, is doing the work of the ministry of the gospel. But also it will be very beneficial for our missionaries that are coming in to see you, to be encouraged by you, to have you pray for them, to have you learn about their mission and what they are doing uh, literally all over the world. So I'd ask you, March 3rd through the 5th, write it on your calendar, to be here as much as you can. We'll start that Friday night with a dinner in here at 5. Uh, you probably have heard about that through your life groups and trying to figure out exactly how many we need to cook for. Uh, so we need a count of that. And then we're going to go from here to the sanctuary and have a great celebration, introduce you to our missionaries, cheer for them. I'm, I'm hoping it's kind of like a football game atmosphere at that moment as we think about the great work that they are doing, how they've sacrificed and given up their lives for that. And so we'll do that on Friday night. We'll hear a message from a dynamic pastor who is, has a heart for missions. And so we'll hear from him, and then we will um, we'll go home and come back Saturday morning. We'll gather together for a light breakfast. We'll have time of prayer over our missionaries. We'll do that in groups so we can touch as many of them as possible that morning. Uh, and then we'll have some workshops, just a couple of times where you can sit down with a missionary hear their heart, hear something specific that they do in their context that we can bring back here and do in our context. Or maybe it's encouraging you to go help them with their context. That's what Saturday morning will be about. And then we'll come back Sunday morning and we will have life groups and we're going to split up all over the campus into eight or so different groups, let you hear from a missionary specifically what they do in their mission field. And then we'll gather again for worship and we'll, we'll hear from our own church planner, Steve Chambers, He'll preach that Sunday morning. We'll hear from a, a couple of others in short testimony, and then uh, we'll come back that night, hear uh, some more of that, and hear from our missionary in Kenya. Moses will be preaching for us that night. And so through all of that, I hope you will come and be a part and gather and just encourage our missionaries, learn from them, and uh, just make them feel special because they are. So please put that on your calendar. Be here March 3rd through the 5th to be a part of that as much as you possibly can. So that's, that's the missions conference. So uh, that's our plug. Please be here for that. All right. So now let's turn our attention to the text. Um, we have a great text this morning. We have uh, the discussion of, of, the, uh, of deacons. What are we looking for? What are the practical qualifications of a deacon? This is the only list like this in the Bible that we see where deacons are mentioned as in here are the qualifications of deacons. So if you've ever been to a deacon ordination, you probably have heard this text. Because it is, it is the one and only in the Bible that we hear from top to bottom what a deacon, what the qualifications should be. But before we even start that, I want to start with the idea of, of a couple of, uh, I guess, uh, preliminaries, things that we need to know about the text and see as we start this. So um, let me open my notes. That'll be good, wouldn't it? All right. So the first thing is this, an overarching theme. Before we even get into thinking about the passage of deacons, the first word mentioned there is the word deacons. And what that means is service. It's the word that is in the Bible a hundred times or so in the New Testament, and it's the word that we translate most of the time as service or servant, and we have made it deacon, or we've taken it as diakonos in the Greek, and so we've kind of just made it our own English word to what we call a deacon. 
And so with this, before we even think about deacons, I want us to think about what Christ has called all of us to do as servants. Because as you, as you, I hope you heard the, the passages that we read today where Jesus himself calls, calls himself a servant. He also says for us to be a servant. Listen to John 12, 26. Jesus says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Those words of servant in there, serve in there, are the same word that we translate deacon in this passage. And it's not talking about the group of people that we call deacons. It's talking about us as believers. So the big overarching theme that I want you to get out of what we're looking at today is really about how we as Christ followers are servants. We're those who are to serve. Now, if you think about uh, this would be a really new concept in the time of Jesus. In fact, if you, think, um, if you think historically about the Greek context of this, the Greeks did not like to serve. In fact, they saw the status of a person based on how much they had servants, not how much they served. And so it was looked as something bad if you were to serve someone else. Well, of course, God kind of changed that opinion or that thought pattern when you come to his people, the Israelites, as he turns them into a people in the Old Testament, which we've been looking at through Genesis and Exodus, we see God doing something that the Greeks would have never thought of a God to do, which would be to serve, is we have a God who lowers himself, condescends himself down to his people, and has an agreement or a covenant with them. That in itself is just out of the uh, a total different mindset. And so the Jewish people, as they become people, they understand this idea of serving one another. Um, their commandments, the things that they taught, a lot of times taught them to love their neighbor, to take care of their neighbor, to, neighbor, to serve their neighbor. We see a lot of opportunities in the, in the Old Testament where Abraham would have people come to him, and what would he do for them? He would take them in, and he would what? He would serve them a meal. He would use this word of this idea of servant. So it became something that the Jewish people would see as a good thing is serving. We would understand that from God's character. They are godly people. They understand God's character of wanting to serve. But by the time, by the time Jesus comes along, that idea is not the same anymore. Because what had happened is the Pharisees, the religious leaders, because of all the laws they had written about being clean that started in we see in Exodus, we see about uh, God wanting them to enter into his presence in a purifi purified sense. All those ideas of cleaning turned into something of service. And so they once again backed into thinking, if you're serving, then you're probably not clean, which is not something you need to be. And so the Pharisees had almost turned it back upside down again, where service wasn't something to be looked at as a high mark of a person, of someone who believed in God would be someone who was serving that way. Jesus comes along. Jesus gives this passage, John 12, 26, and he tells his, his followers that if they're going to follow him, they're going to be a servant. Another passage that we read earlier, uh, Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus himself says that he came to be a servant. Uh, I would put forth to you that Jesus actually is our greatest definition of what a servant is. Would you not agree with that? He is the premier, a premier deacon, so to speak. He is the servant beyond servants because he came, lowered himself, um, as we read at the very beginning, lowered himself from heaven to come to be a servant, serving so much so that he served by dying on the cross, by sacrificing himself completely 
under the, under the Father's will for you and for me. He is the greatest servant. And we now follow him in service. So keep that overarching theme in mind as we look at deacons about what we as all believers are supposed to be as servants. And in fact, we all are called to deacon, serve one another in ways, okay? So service goes beyond deacons. It's all of us. And in fact, it's really a part of who we are as believers is serving. I think about our kids in New Orleans. What did they go this weekend to do? They went to serve. They went to serve as, a, as hands and feet for this local church there and to serve, to be those who would, who would do whatever was asked of them. I hope that was their mindset when they went this week was to do whatever was asked of them to help this church in service. So they were serving. So now on to our text. Let's read it together. This is 1 Timothy 3. Um, 8 through 13. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So I want to begin by having two uh, presumptions that we see from the very first words of this text. The first two words are deacons and likewise. And the first one is, is to look at that word likewise. What is that telling us? Likewise means, let's, let's look at what we are likewise, which is the passage before it. And it's talking about that the office of the deacons are serve as an office in the church. I think that's important that we understand. So when you look back in the first part of this, 1 Timothy 3.1, you see why it says likewise. He's talking about what we looked at last week about overseers. That verse says, the saying, this, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer... He desires a noble task. It actually says the word office of overseer. So the office of elder is set apart as something as an office. And then we have in deacons, the same thing, deacons likewise. So it points back. It's the same as is with elders for deacons. Why is this important? Why am I making a big deal about this? Because I wanted you to see that even though we all serve, even though we all deacon one another, there is something in this passage that speaks to a special group that are called to an office of deacon. Now, one of the passages that we look at a lot of times when we're talking about deacons is we go to the Acts 6 passage. If you remember when we went through the book of Acts, you have Acts 6 where there's this, uh, something's happening and a disruption in the church about the widows not being served. And so the apostles come and they tell the church to pick out among them seven men who will then handle this task, right? And we always pointed that and we looked at that and, and I think even we pretty much taught that this is, kind of where deacons start. Well, if it did, it didn't start as the office of deacons because we don't really even have that word towards these men. It doesn't say these men are going to serve or deacon. It actually says the apostles were the ones who were serving. They were doing the service to the ministry of the word. So this, what they're doing here is these seven men are taking on a task and they are doing this task. They were called by the church to do it. But Beyond that point in Acts to now where we have in 1 Timothy, which is probably 30 years after this or so, somewhere around in there, maybe a, a few or less, 
you have this office now that's been created that says these people are set apart as deacons. They have qualifications, they have responsibilities, they have an office that they are in. And so it's more than just servants again that's just kind of like this, everybody does this thing. No, there's an office, just like there is for elder, that's for deacon. So I think that's important that we get that presumption. The second one is, is back to the word deacon itself. This may be self-evident to you, but I want you to realize this in this passage. We will not see job descriptions for deacons. You won't find any job description of a deacon in the New Testament. In fact, we normally have to go back to that Acts passage and read that and say, okay, what did these guys kind of do? They were serving, so maybe this is what job descriptions of a deacon is. There's not really a passage that tells us. Why would that be? Why do we not know the job description of a deacon? Well, it's actually because it's in the word itself. The word itself means to wait on tables, to serve. So the best way I can tell you the job description of a deacon is to deacon, is to serve. Whatever way the church wants you to serve, that's what you're to do, is to serve the church. And I can't tell you what that looks like for uh, any other church than Calvary Baptist Church. Because I know what this church needs, and we all know what this church needs, and when we come together and find needs... We ask our deacons to serve those needs. So the job description, the, how it actually looks, kind of changes based on the composition of the body and what we need and what they're to do. So you're not going to find job descriptions, but instead we find qualifications, which fits so beautifully into who God is. Because God cares about our actions or our heart. He cares about our heart. And so he wants us to make sure as we as the congregation are looking more than just actions. Who's, who would be good at this? Who would be good at that? Who could get this done? Who's already doing this? No, he wants us to think, who are these people? Who are these deacons? Who are these men that God has given us? Who are they? And that way we see their hearts. So when we look at the qualifications, think about that, that we're looking at the heart of a man, a heart of a person to be a deacon. All right, so now... Moving on into the text again. The next word. I'm not going to go word by word or we'd be here for a while, wouldn't we? But those are very important two words. So deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, and not greedy for dishonest gain. So you're, you're looking at four different qualifications, and what I would say these are, are really summed up in one word. And it's a word that we see in the fruit of the Spirit. It's a word that we see in Jesus so often. It's called self-control. Self-control. That's what all of this boils down to, to me, when you look at the heart of a deacon. Is this a man who controls himself? Now, we know that's not possible without Christ. So, in other words, is this man's Spirit-filled? Is he allowing the Spirit to lead him so that he says no to self, in these ways, so that he can control or be controlled by the Spirit. Self-control. So it's they must be dignified. This, this word deals with being stately or being serious. This is someone that takes the job that they've been given and does it seriously. They're dignified. They see the importance of it, and they're going to do it right, and as well as they possibly can, they're dignified. Not double-tongued. I think this is interesting. Double-tongued. To me, double-tongued means someone who who may speak one way to somebody because it helps in this situation and then turns around and speaks another way to somebody else because it may help in that situation. Can you see where that would be, would, that would be um, not a very 
wise quality of a deacon? If we look back at that Acts passage and we see what they were working towards, which was unity in the body, and they were working towards um, taking care of loose ends or things that weren't being done, they were handling problems. If you deal with problems, if you deal with it by saying one thing to one person and one thing else to somebody else, um, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble that way. And you cause dissension. You don't, you're not leading towards unity. It takes a lot for us to speak the truth. Speak the truth in love, but speak the truth and not be swayed so that it fits the way that would fit that person. So, not double-tongued. The next says, addicted to much wine. This is someone who, who does not, once again, give themselves over to their desires. This is someone who realizes the, the danger in alcohol. Understands that them being outside of themselves because they are um, losing their senses through alcohol is not a good thing to be. That's not self-controlled. So Paul is writing to Timothy to not be addicted to much wine. I'm reminded of a verse in Ephesians 5.18 where Paul tells the church, he says, And do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He puts those two side by side, opposite one another. Are we going to allow ourselves to be filled with the Spirit and let the Spirit move us? Or are we going to allow something that we put inside of our body to be in charge of us and control us? A deacon is someone who will, who will allow the Spirit to be the leader of themselves. The last one in that list is not greedy for dishonest gain. Now, this one is very important for the early church because the deacons had the responsibility, the, the apostles at first, and then the deacons had the responsibility of taking up offerings and distributing those offerings where needs were or even sending those offerings to other churches. All of that money situation was handled by this office of deacon. And so they, of course, need to be someone who is not greedy or would take advantage of that. So very important that this qualification for us is someone who wants to be right about the money of the church, wants to create trust among the members, wants to have a trust among us that what we take up to give to certain things is handled in the best and most proper way. So not greedy for dishonest gain. In verse 9, the next verse, Paul moves from these self-control qualities to talking about the heart issue once more. And he actually goes to the heart, or, or I guess the, the center of it, when he talks about this. He says that they must internalize the gospel. And what I mean by that, by internalize the gospel, is this is someone who not only just understands the facts of the gospel, but someone who lives it out. Someone that takes it seriously. The two phrases that he uses are the mystery of the faith and has a clear conscience. So someone that, who... Um, their conscience tells them that they are living out this faith that they believe. Now, when I'm talking about the gospel in that way, I, I don't want to just run over that and, and just have it as a word out there, that they have the mystery of the gospel. I want you to really think for me, with me, that we know what the gospel is. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus came to save sinners. He came to help us do what we couldn't do, which was get rid of our sin. God created this perfect world, and in that perfect world, there was peace. There was peace between Adam and Eve and God. But then, Adam and Eve chose to go their own way, to sin. They chose to be outside of God's will, and that gave that separation that could never be, never be repaired. 
And we've been trying ever since then to figure out ways to repair it on our own. And we know that we never get there. It's not by works that we can ever become perfect again. Once we've sinned, we've sinned. Perfection is gone. We can't be with a perfect God. But God, in his brilliance, in his mercy, in his love, sent the God's Son, Jesus, to the earth to live that perfect life, to always submit to the Father, and then die for your sin and for mine, so that if I believe in him, and I want to change, and I want to repent, and I want to return back in peace with God, I have that opportunity by faith in Jesus Christ by him being the substitute for my sin. That's the gospel that a deacon must have internalized, and it must come out in a life that is lived and shown by repentance. I appreciate what Scott said, living a life every day of repentance, of realizing that we want to turn our own way, but we want to turn to God, and we do that through Jesus Christ. That's what they must internalize and have a, a clear conscience, not because they're perfect, but because they know they're forgiven. That's the, that's the heart of a deacon. That's the heart of the middle of this passage is someone who knows that, understands the gospel in that way. Verse 10 speaks back to us as the church. It's actually, it calls the church to action. The church should test them. Verse 10 says this, it says, And let, uh, let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. The church, we are the ones who are testing this is about evaluation. This is about us looking, has showing the evidence of someone who is blameless, that they are living with that good conscience because they believe in the gospel. So we should test them, and we should let them prove themselves blameless. I like the word blameless that it uses here because what a high standard that's, that puts there, blameless, blameless. Now, we know that no man is blameless. We all have sin, but because of Christ, we stand before God declared blameless. Declared blameless. So if we live through him, if we allow Christ to live in us, then we can stand there and be someone who's been tested. This testing, though, I think it fits to also what we as the church are called to do with each other. And that's look for evidence of our faith. That's what we're doing when we're looking for uh, someone to serve as a deacon. Are we seeing that they have this blameless characteristic, that they understand who God is and who Jesus is to them? Blameless. And Paul, in verse 11, Paul gives qualifications for a different group. Um, and you'll see in your notes that I call this a speed bump. And uh, I want us to slow down a minute and actually look at this passage and what these words are as we think about this speed bump. So verse 11 says this. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Well, that sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? But when you look at the text itself, and if you look down, if you have a Bible that has some notes, if you look at those notes to what those words are, um, it doesn't actually say their wives in this passage. It really just gives us a word for women. There is no there there. So I gave you blanks. The first blank is where, does, where do we see this same word translated as wives? It's in verse 2 and verse 12. Verse 2 says this, Therefore an overseer must be above approach, the husband of one wife. That word translated there is translated wife. It's also in verse 12. The same way, 
Let deacons each be husband of one wife. That word, same word there used, translated wife. But then if you look in the same little passage here, you go up a little way. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about women in the church. And it says this in verse 9 and 11 of chapter 2. It says, women, not wives. So chapter 2, verse 9. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. It doesn't say wives. It's the same word that causes us a little bit of a speed bump. Same thing in verse 11 and verse 12. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. It doesn't say wives in your text. It says women. So, of course, the interpreters, the translators, are trying their best way. Translators, not interpreters, are trying their best to give us what this passage means. And so if you look down at the bottom, you may say that it says, or women, for this passage. What is it calling to? Well, it's calling to the fact that in some churches, some Baptist churches, some other denominations, churches believe that women can also serve as deacons. So here's the two ways, the plausible interpretations that you can have here. I just gave you numbers. You can write whichever you'd like here. The first one is this, that verses 8 through 12, this whole passage is one continual qualification for deacons, and this leads some to believe that only men can serve as deacons. Women can't have wives, nor can they be a one-woman man. Verse 11 and 12 speaks to how a man is to be headship of his family, and those under him are his responsibility would actually also include his wife in that. So that's how the interpretation that the people who would say that this passage limits deacons to men. There's another plausible explanation of this. Verse 8 through 10, just the first three verses that we look at, actually deal with general qualifications of deacons. It says deacons. Verse 11 then speaks to specific women deacons. The reason that people would say this is a different group is because of how it's in the text. You start with elders, and then you have in deacons likewise, and then you have women likewise. So it looks like it's a, another group that has started here. And then verse 12 goes back and gives specifics of a deacon towards a man, which would be back to the issues of his family of being a one-woman man and controlling or managing his household well. So you've got two different ways to look at this. And really and truly, I've studied this all week, and I'm kind of like, I think it could flow whichever direction that you want to take this. I think you would be honest with the text to say that you took it that direction. Um, I know this next week, a few of us, me, Melody, and um, Tommy and Jamie Perry are going to Guatemala. And Tommy will be doing some training with deacons. He'll have one man deacon and a bunch of deaconesses, female deacons, that he's training. I know there's many, many churches that we would say are God-honoring and Scripture-led um, that have women who serve as deacons. So where do we as a church fall? Well, I'll tell you in the past, in our history, we have fallen that deacons are to be men. In fact, our bylaws don't necessarily state that. There's not really in the bylaws anything that says a deacon must be a man. But there's one sentence in that that it says that if a man is not ordained, he must be ordained as soon as possible. 
And so if you look at that, you can say from our bylaws that, yes, then maybe we are saying as a church body, and I think we have said that through our tradition and through who we have put forward the congregation, that we think deacons should serve as men. I think that's where we've been. I think that makes perfect sense in who we are as a church because of what the deacons have had to do in the past. If you realize, even as we studied last week, this talked about elders, we did, not, we did not have elders very long. We've only had elders about five years. And with only five years' worth of elder leadership, of things that we would say that the Bible, God calls men to do, we have put some of that on deacons in the past. There's been many times I've been leading a, finance, or a uh, church meeting, and in that we've said that the deacons bring this to you. Well, that would be the deacons in a, in a director, a leadership, an authority type of role that we have put them in as men of the church because we didn't have elders. We kind of saw our deacons in some way or another as having fill in this gap that we didn't have. So I think it makes perfect sense that we as a church body have said we're going to limit our deacon body to be men because it fits with the role we've asked them to play. So where does that mean we go in the future? I don't know. I think we need to really think about and study and see where we are as our deacons. Are our deacons truly servants? Do they just Are they serving out of the capacity of what this church has asked them to do? In that way, then I think if that role is that way, we might look at something more than just men. But that's up for all of us to consider and to think about what this text is saying. But we as a church have said that men are to be deacons at this point. So where do I fall? I know you all want to know that, right? <laughs> like I said, I have studied this text a lot, read a lot this last couple of weeks, and there's a couple of things in both camps that I just have not um, been able to make uh, perfect sense to me where I can say 100% I believe this or believe that. And so where I fall in that is to say that I think that from the text itself, to text itself it is permissible for women to serve as deacons. Because I think everything that we see in this text that would point us to saying no, you're really inferring something from the text. You're actually adding something to text to get there. See, what we're adding is the word there. That's why I said there's no there there. I didn't even mention that. That was my best line of the whole sermon, and I forgot it. <laughs> there's no there there. In our text, in our, in our way of looking at that scripture, it says, it says there, there. I mean, it says there's no there there. I'm confusing myself. <laughs> so the issue to that is that it doesn't have anything besides the word for women or for wife. And I can see it where it's, te it's taken in this text and it said wives at times. I can see where it said it text it says women at times. So I think the text itself leaves it open to that. But I do think if a church um, like ours has anything in their um, organization structure that leads the deacons to be doing things that only men are called to do by God's word, then I think they would be, it would be more prudent for them to leave it at just men. And in our case, our situation is, I think we do still have some of that mindset because, like I said, we've only been in this elder thing for five years. Elder thing, that's horrible. Don't tell Paul I said that. Um, this mindset, this biblical looking at, at the, the uh, governing of a church through elders. We've only been doing this for five years, and so I know I still have in my mindset what a deacon is. And so when I started this today, I bet most of you had a mindset of what a deacon was when we start. 
And so I think until we get to the point where we have changed that in our mindset, that we see a deacon that doesn't have any, any of those roles of authority that, that we think the Bible holds men to in a church, then I think we should probably be prudent to stay where we are with just men being deacons. So that's where I come down in this. So now we've had that speed bump pretty hard. Let's move on. Uh, the next thing here, um, back now to, so let me, let me do, I guess I gave those very quickly, the list for women and wives, whichever way you want to say that, it's definitely a list of a qualifications for women or for wives in the deacon group. And so they are a lot like the first ones. There's dignified, not slander, sober-minded, faithful in all things. All this, I think, points to us, uh, it slants towards a belief or a thought of what women have in their who they are that's a little bit different than men um, I, I pull this from first timothy 5 13 we'll get to this passage later uh, in the year and it's talking about here where young widows are going around house to house and, and they're gossiping and so what does he say to that to this group of women and wives he tells them not to be slanderers versus double-tongued i think there's a difference in that and maybe that points to just the makeup of women versus men, of how it's a little bit different, and it's towards them specifically what women should, um, what we should look at and make sure that our women are for the qualifications of this, this office. And then the last uh, couple of things here in these verses, we have the qualification of men, of male deacons, if you want to take it that way, or just deacons if we're looking at it for ourselves, for our church. Number one is deacons should be honorable husbands. Remember, the word is woman or wife. So does this mean that a deacon must be married? No, you can translate this as a one-woman man, someone who is single, who fits the qualifications, I think fits into what a deacon can be because you can translate it as a one-woman man, not necessarily one-wife man. It's the same word choice. So I think a man, if he is being honorable as a single, because uh, Paul looks at it as a positive to stay single in the Bible, I think if he is a a man who is honest with himself, as in he um, does not uh, womanize, does not have that as a part of who he is, then he can serve as a deacon because it doesn't just mean married men because of how that word can be translated either way. And then the last thing is deacons should be good stewards of their families. This is very important. I don't, don't want to just run over this. The men of the family are very important. Men are to be the spiritual leaders of their home. They should manage their family well. They should lead their children in a way that would point their children to Christ. Now, we know that every child has their own, um, as we believe, they have their decision to make. It is, uh, our faith is a one-by-one one faith. And so we can't, we can't say that we are responsible for our children's faith, but we are responsible for giving them the best uh, management as we can towards the gospel so that they will respond and that's what a man is called to do here is to lead his family in a way that would lead his family to be open to the gospel one day and so that's what a man is called to do and that's very important for what we need to look at in the qualifications of a deacon and then the last thing in this and I don't want to uh, run through this but I know I've been up here a while is the promise of reward that is given to deacons. And why would this be? Why is this here? Why do we see this? Well, if you just think about it in a, in a, in a way of what a deacon is, a deacon serves, and there's not really a lot of glamour in that. But that's exactly what God 
did for Jesus, right? Was there any glamour in Jesus leaving heaven, leaving the glory of heaven and coming and being one of us and dying on a cross and putting, subjecting himself? Is there any glamour in that? No, there's no glamour. But what did God do? God raised him up, glorified him. And so the same way as for our deacons, as they serve, God is the one who will give you your reward. He is who you are serving ultimately, so the reward is to come. So it says, number one, the promise of the reward is a good standing for themselves. And I'll read this passage just a little bit before what we looked at earlier, Mark 10, 42-44. And Jesus called them to him and said to him, said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. See, honor will come to those who do not seek it. Honor will come to those who seek to serve instead of being honored. And so we have good standing when we're doing those things that God has called us and Jesus has called us to do to serve. The first will be last and the last will be first. And I'll say this, I think deacons serve Calvary well and I'm very appreciative of our deacons. And I think we as a church should be appreciative of them. We should find opportunities to point to them even in their service and say how thankful we are for them and how well they are doing the job of being exemplary servants for all of us. All of us are to serve, but they do it in an example for all of us in front of us. And the second reward that this passage gives us is great confidence in the faith. When a deacon lives his life as internalizing the gospel and he sees the benefits of that, then he will know that he is saved and he has confidence in that faith to know that one day he'll stand before Jesus and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. What a, what a great thing to think about. A deacon does that every day as they serve, as they get to look forward to hearing that one day. That's the greatest reward is confidence in that faith. So I want to end today with some practical applications for us, kind of like Paul did last week for elders. And so these are practical applications for Calvary. Number one, appreciate your deacons. I just said that. Show them that we love them and we know that they are serving from a place that seeks God and doesn't seek reward. Appreciate them. Number two, answer the call to serve alongside our deacons. Our deacons are not the only ones who are called to serve. In fact, how I see it is they are the leaders of our service and they need us to come along and be the followers that are being led to serve. So if they ask you to help them in one way or another, that's an awesome way that we get to support them, encourage them, and more gets done if we join in in helping our deacons um, do the needs that we at Calvary feel like we have. So serve alongside of them. Number three, we empower deacons to serve our unique needs. How do we do that? We've got to figure out what our needs are. We've got to notice things around us that we can take to them and say, have y'all thought about this? Could we help you do this? They need us in that way. So please empower them. If you think, see things that we're missing, things that, that need to be handled in a certain way, and I say go to our deacons and empower them to do those things. And then follow them. Allow them to lead and follow them in those services. And then the last thing to the church body is to 
assume responsibility of selecting good candidates for deacon. You are given the task as a church body to put forth men to be deacons. We do this every March. It's coming up next month. March the 15th, we'll start taking nominations for deacons. And I'm sad to say, normally we get about 30 to 40 nominations in a church that has 1,000 members. Take your responsibility seriously. Look around you. See those men who are serving, who are leading, and nominate them. I would love to see us have a lot more names that we have to go through and, and test and work towards them becoming our deacons. We need men. We need you to take it seriously of how to nominate them. March 15th is coming quickly. And the last couple of things I would say to our deacons, points of growth for our deacon ministry. Number one is, I think we need to shift the mindset, and I think we have done this in some ways, and I'm so thankful for Dwayne Haley, our, our chairman who has done this, shift the mindset to our deacons seeing themselves as deacon of something, a model of knowing what they are responsible for leading and not being just deacons in general who, who have this, this kind of nebulous, don't really know what to do kind of idea of a deacon. I hope we at Calvary, number one, we have to figure out what those things are that we need deacons to do, but then we empower them, like I said, to do those things and become the deacon of something. I'll give you one example of that. Um, we have events here on the weekends, and when we have those events, it's very hard to get the place cleaned up and ready to go for Sunday morning because we don't have custodial staff that are here. And so I brought to the deacons, I said, I would love to have a deacon who would take on the responsibility of saying, I am the deacon of weekend cleanup. He doesn't have to do it all, but he's going to help it get done. And his first weekend that he's in charge of is our missions weekend. And I'm so thankful that it, that man, Josh, has taken that role. Because that is one of those things that I'm saying it's a deacon of, and now he knows what he's responsible for. We as a staff know who to go to, and I, I'm so excited about having somebody to help us because it only happens five or six times a year, but it's, it's very, very important that we can then come together and worship on Sunday. And so that's an, an opportunity where I say we see a need, we, we bring that need to the deacons, and they, one of them assigned to it, and he becomes the deacon of and gets it done. I think we need more and more of that for our deacons. And then the last thing I would say, point of growth, is to elevate the staff-deacon partnership at Calvary. Um, as we've talked and, and read through books of deacons and, and, and really looked at what the role of a deacon is, a lot of times we look at our staff and we say, wait a minute, are you a pastor or are you a deacon? Are you a director or are you a deacon? Because those roles are so close to one another. And so I think we need to use that to our advantage, that our staff members who are in staff meeting every week need to know that they have deacons that feel the same way they do towards a, their ministry area, and they're willing to serve that ministry area just like they are. I think if we can have that coordination and all of our deacons understand those things together, I think, man, we can do so much in a better, uh, more effective way towards the kingdom if we have the deacons and the staff understand how they relate better. We're going to try our best on the staff side to do that well. Um, there are a lot of my roles in administration that I do that are really should be, need to be led by deacons, um, committees, all kinds of things like that. And I love to have the opportunity to see how that fits in with what 
I'm called to do in my job, but also what they can help direct and lead in the ministry of the church. I think it's so interesting that the word ministry itself that we use all the time, children's ministry, preschool ministry, uh, student ministry, that word, what is that word that we're using there, ministry? That word is service. It's the same word. So doesn't it make sense then our deacons should be in those leaderships helping us lead those things that we have staff that do? I think so. I think it should be so much a part of one another that they work together tandem. And I hope we get there. I want to see those relationships grow and develop so that we we have more um, opportunities to serve, more way to serve better. So I hope as you hear about deacons today, I hope you think about the men that have served and how God has given us as a church these great servants for us to see as leaders, as people that we should exemplify in what they do as a deacon. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you that um, you have put your church together the way you have. We're thankful that you give us your word that shows us what that is and helps us look at a mirror of Calvary Baptist Church and see if it lines up with Scripture. I pray, God, that we do that more and more every day as we learn, as we grow. Lord, I thank you that um, you came to serve us. And God, now you've, you're calling us back to do the same to others, to serve. And I thank you for the men of this church who have done that faithfully and done that because they're seeking you. And I pray, God, that they will feel lifted up today and encouraged that they are um, an office, a group that is picked out special for you. Lord, help them serve well. Let us follow them well. But God, I don't want to lose touch with the idea or the thought of the gospel. That you had a plan for us when we were your enemies. That you sent your son so that we can repair, we can repent and turn back to you and find peace again through the forgiveness of sins that has come through the cross. So God, as we stand now and we sing that, I pray that we will affirm our own salvation, realizing that we are here together, standing justified before you because of the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus. All praise, all glory goes to him. Lord, we love you and we praise you for using us as your church. In Jesus' name, amen.